0: instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and press on falsies.
1: Hey, welcome to My First Time, a mostly sexy sex podcast from Broadly. My name is Sing Sing.
2: We engaged in sex, I would say, once per week, but I wouldn't call it enjoyable or engaging or fulfilling.
1: Today on My First Time... Did you know, according to the World Health Organization, there are more than 30 different bacteria, viruses and parasites transmitted during sex.
2: My name is Emily DePass and this is the story of how I rediscovered my sexuality after learning I had genital herpes.
1: Emily DePass is training to be a counsellor, supporting people in their sexual and romantic relationships. She's been sexually active for most of her adult life and she's had a number of partners. She's also been for checkups at the doctors, looking for sexually transmitted diseases, STIs, or STDs. Most of the time, the results have come back negative, but not always. A few years ago, Emily contracted herpes, and that experience completely changed her perspective on sex. This is her story.
2: Herpes is a skin it's a skin infection it's relatively common and it comes in two strains HSV1 and HSV2 HSV2 typically revolves around the genitals and is transmitted there but it, there are rare cases when it can transmit to your mouth and there is oral herpes cold sores which is caused by typically caused by HSV1 And in recent years, HSV-1 has been known to cause genital herpes, for example, from a partner with a cold sore going down on their partner. So I have seen people in relationships and marriages can contract herpes from their partner because their partner doesn't even know that it's possible. So I, for example, I know someone who her husband had cold sores and he went down on her and she contracted herpes. But... For people wondering what it means for your relationships, I always say that it makes you have the conversations that you should have been having. For example, we should be disclosing about our sexual health to all of our partners. And I know that many people don't label that as romantic. Like I said before, you know, there's no real movies that lay out how to have a romantic disclosure. Um, But, you know, it's, something, it forces you to have really honest communication with your partners, whether they're casual partners or whether they're someone you want to spend your life with, or if it's a partner in addition to an open relationship. But it doesn't it doesn't make you any less unlovable or it doesn't make you any kind of poison, even though it can feel that way at first.
1: Looking back, our guest Emily was not impressed with her sex education at school it was inaccurate, biased and basically way too Catholic.
2: I was actually brought up in a Catholic school. So my education from, you know, middle school through high school was mostly abstinence only. And, you know, marriage was for something sacred between couples. And so was sex and sexuality was for appropriation. So when I went to college, I had my first real experience with sex ed. And that's because I actually majored in gender and sexuality studies. And that was the first time I had what I would call more comprehensive sex education. And during that time, I learned about STIs, but it was, you know, very clinical. It's these are the STIs that you can get protect yourself from them. There wasn't really much other context than that. There was no discussion of pleasure. There was no discussion of how to protect yourself. Uh, I do recall that we had an abortion education day, and my mom actually had me stay home from school that day. And I didn't really think much of it when I was younger. Um, I actually would look in the Bible to see if I could find any additional information, and it sounds silly, but when you're in a Catholic school, a Bible's a resource. Um, so I looked there and said, "You know, maybe I can find something out here. And there was very little information there, as you can imagine, and I didn't really think about the impact that that abstinence-only education had on me until I grew into my 20s, and I actually began to process how that education was conducted. They split um, boys and girls into two different classes, and I'm not sure really what the boys learned, but the girls learned about our periods and how to prepare for that, and you know, that sex was for marriage and families. So my teacher would always check to make sure we were prepared with like pads and tampons and things like that. And if we weren't, we would have our points deducted from our grade. So I learned and kind of realized later I was internalizing shame for being a woman and for menstruating. So that was something that I've had to process in recent years too. I learned a lot more about what it meant to be in a relationship through that class, it was just, I want to say it was like concepts in human sexuality or something very basic or health sexual education. But STIs, it was pretty much, I would say, you know, the run of the mill sex ed, you know, you'll learn about contraceptives, you know, IUDs, birth control pills and other methods as well as how to prevent STIs. But once I contracted herpes, I learned just how little that I knew, even from having, you know sex ed, a class on sex ed, or even a whole curriculum based in gender and sexuality studies. And so that was really something that I had to work with within myself to be like, well, did I fail at my own major? So that was something else that I had to process after my diagnosis too.
1: For Emily, it's not like she ever thought much about STDs before she had to. She didn't know that much about them. But what she did know was tinged with shame and embarrassment.
2: I would say that a large portion of our stigma stems from the media, especially movies seem to do it because I feel like we're not really taught about having safe sex. Rarely do you see a movie or a film or a television show that demonstrates two individuals get engaging in consensual sex. And that including, you know, like well, what, law are you on birth control or how are we going to protect ourselves? Or when was the last time that you were tested? And so that's one way that I think shame is kind of taught and how we're Drifting away from the conversations that we should be having, and why sometimes it makes these conversations so awkward. Um, I, you know, I think film and the media perpetuates the stigma of herpes, especially like in The Hangover. You know, it's like, well, you can't, you can't come back with herpes because that'll never leave you, or something along those lines. Um, and I just always remember, I guess, just through talking to people um you know all we hear are about stis are don't get them and try to avoid them so there's never anything that never anything that i experienced that told me well one day you might get an sti and one day you know it's actually really common and one in 2 young adults under the age of 25 uh have an sti by the sexually active adults um And, you know, you're still worthy of pleasure. I never got that message. I never got any message that said you could still have a loving relationship or a casual relationship with someone after you get diagnosed.
1: One of the things that strikes me listening to Emily's story is hearing about how little people know about herpes and how little she knew about what to do when she realized she had it
2: here in the United States, genital herpes is not part of the regular screening process as advocated by the CDC for several reasons. Um, One of them is because people's behaviors have not changed since after their diagnosis, once they learn that they have herpes, so they still engage in risky behavior. And two, is that the psychological effect of a diagnosis is debilitating for a lot of folks. So I actually had a doctor who screened me for genital herpes and I tested, I had a history of testing negative. And so it was with someone that I knew in 2015 and I had known him for several years. And I actually met him in when he was stationed in London and he was in the Air Force. And when he came home, we engaged in consensual sex. And about two weeks later, I ended up with like just excruciating pain, you know, in my vulva region, in my vulva. And it was right at the entrance of my vagina. So I never saw it, but because of my sexual history, I knew that I had tested negative. And so when I went to the doctor, the doctor took a swab to check the lesion and it was extremely, extremely painful Um, I remember crying and, you know, I just remember a nurse looking over at me with like this pity in her eyes. And they also did a blood test. So the blood test that you want to do for herpes is the IgG blood test. And so that actually turned up negative at that time, but my culture turned up positive. So that signaled a recent infection because it takes, I believe, six to 12 weeks, sometimes even longer for the antibodies to develop in the bloodstream. So from that moment, I just felt completely unloved. I felt betrayed. I felt disgusting. I felt hopeless about my future. And I felt that this person, I wasn't quick to blame him, but I also was unsure. You know, had he been tested, we hadn't talked about that. So that was another wake up call for me about my own communications with others, with partners.
1: If you're concerned about your own sexual health, the obvious thing to say is you should go and get yourself tested. But Emily knows, even if you go to doctors, they might not look for genital herpes.
2: My dad actually was with me at the doctor when I was diagnosed. I wanted him with me. And I remember crying when I was leaving the doctor's office and I just repeated, who will love me? Like, who will ever love me now that I have this? And so you know, I went home, I was really upset. I, you know, a few days went by and I talked to a nurse and she, you know, she even was like, well, you should have worn a condom just, which reflected also the knowledge that I just shared, you know, that you can still use a condom and get herpes. So I've learned a lot of education and miseducation through speaking to other professionals about it. But it was really just looking in the mirror and not knowing who you are Um, and after like, this was after I graduated from college. So I was very determined. I had this great internship and I just lost myself. I actually told my internship supervisor, I text, I emailed her one day and said, Hey, you know, I'm not coming in. I'm in a lot of mental and physical pain. And, you know, I just got diagnosed with an STI and I'm still processing it. And she was actually really receptive and I trusted her a lot, but from there, I would tell friends and most friends were almost all of my friends were receptive and just wanted to make sure I was okay. But it was difficult telling the, my partner who transmitted it to me, he was taking a motorcycle class at the time or was applying for one. And I texted him and I I was like, Hey, you know, I have something really important to say, but I think it needs to be said in person. And he said, you know i'm really busy with this class you know what is it like are you pregnant blah 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 and i'm like i'd really like to tell you in person but i and he just interjected and he's like what is it and i'm like you know i have herpes and he was like oh my god are you okay and that launched the i guess it would be the beginning of the end this is someone that i had like a really strong connection with when i first met him and so for me this was not only the decline of this relationship, but also my other potential relationships with other people too. And we engaged in sex, I would say once per week, but I wouldn't call it enjoyable or engaging or f- fulfilling. I would say the need that it was fulfilling was acceptance from someone else that we were still worthy. And I can't speak to his experience, but I, I, looking back now, I would say that's my experience. I thought, you know, maybe a therapist would be good for me, but then I sat back and I thought, who would ever understand this? Because I had no concept that it was something that was common or that other people experienced or that anyone could understand what I, I was going through. So I had my friends. Um, I eventually just stopped going to that internship that I had. Uh, this guy ended up actually breaking up with P on a Snapchat text back when they would disappear within like 10 seconds, and I just stared at it. I didn't screenshot it. I didn't have time to really think. I was just like, oh, my God, that Snapchat text, as much as I hate to bring this person into it, it was the catalyst for the beginning of my own self-acceptance and propelling myself forward
1: this current path. After Emily got herpes, she lost her sexual confidence. It took her a while before she was able to get into a relationship and or get into bed with someone new.
2: There was someone that I knew from college and I met him at a party and I was open with my herpes status since December. And I started talking about it on my blog and my social media. And so my Facebook friends knew. And so this is someone that I was Facebook friends with. And he was flirting with me, texting about this party that we're going to go to. It was just like a very small house party. I was like, well, you know, what about me? And he didn't really have any reaction to it other than, well, just tell me how to protect myself. It was very simple. He's like, you know, you know more than I do. And I think it was just knowing that one person felt that it wasn't a big deal and that it was something that could be navigated around was important to me. And he really played a pivotal role in my rekindling of that sexual self at the party we actually didn't have sex we just flirted and we like I, we, I think we messed around a little bit but nothing like no general gentle touching it was just more like hands hands-on play um but after that point I was like I went home because I had forgotten condoms and I'm like oh man like look I found them on my floor and he's like haha next time But I think I went up to visit him. We were living in two different states and I drove up to visit him. And I think there was, we had been exchanging like selfies and things like that. So that's another part of the rebuilding of the self and the sexual self-esteem was just, you know, the acceptance like, oh, someone still like wants to be with me or still thinks that I'm valuable in this way. And so I drove up and I think it was just, I don't remember the specifics, but I just remember him putting a condom on and just because I told him, you know, I haven't slept with anyone since this. I I wish it were. I wish I could give you mind blowing details. But I mean, it was it was just normal. It was I don't want to say normal because I don't like using normal to describe um, sex, but it was it was nice. It was gentle. It was sweet. It was a reintroduction. um, And something else that I've been working with in reflection on partners and going back to partnered sex after an STI diagnosis is like a lot of my story reflects a desire to be loved or wanted. And so a lot of our validation is rooted in the expectation and validation from others that we're still worthy. And that, like I said, a lot of mine came from that too, but I think it's also important um, to start that process with yourself. Um, For example, like with masturbation, like I said, you know, I didn't I didn't want to touch any toys. I didn't I didn't think that I was worthy of pleasure. And so around this time was when I also started to start digging back into that box. After I was diagnosed, I had like I had my bedroom and then I had a mirror next to me. It was really hard for me to even look at the mirror like I didn't recognize myself. So I remember looking in the mirror and back when I was diagnosed, I just shoved the box under my bed. I was like, I I can't even look at this right now. Like I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, So it was after my partner that had transmitted herpes to me after he left the almost relationship as I call it. Um, And I started, once I started talking about what had happened to me and how I was processing it and how just processing my emotions I really started to gain more confidence and be like okay you know I am more than this um so that's when you know it kind of the box came out from under the bed and so like I really like um a wand and I think toys are a great reintroduction to someone's um sex life self-sex life because it still allows for a bit of distance between yourself and the body um, while allowing you to receive pleasure, so it's a good transitory. If some, if you know, if finger play is something that you're interested in or something that you like, um, a toy might be a great reintroduction
1: to your senses and how it feels. Years on from getting genital herpes, our guest Emily is a sex educator and she's training to be a sex therapist. She's channeled her experience into something positive, and she wants to help other people through their own tough times. If you want to get yourself checked out for STDs, including herpes, talk to your doctor or local sexual health clinic. Most STDs can be treated, but getting things checked out as soon as possible is important. As we've learned on this podcast, sex can be wild and wonderful, but sexual health plays a big part in it too.
2: After I was diagnosed, like many people, I spent hours on the internet, which can be both your best friend and worst enemy, um, just trying to learn more, you know, trying to go beyond the little information that the doctors had given me or beyond the packets or beyond, you know, the standard government websites. Um, you know, a lot of it was looking for answers, but you know, there's also the reality that not, not all the answers will be something that you'll find. But I came across someone by the name of Ella Dawson, and I'm not sure if you know her, but she is a now retired herpes activist. Um, but she, was featured on several news articles and wrote on her blog about her experience uh, in her public disclosure. And so I really admired that and decided, you know, this is something that aligns with my career. You know, I wanted to be a sex therapist and it just kind of began to integrate into a part of my identity. And I said, you know what, I'm tired of just talking about this darkness in general and decided to take that darkness public and that's when I kind of learned and accepted the idea of this vulnerability creates change and I've noticed since I've had some friends talk to me and say you know Em since your public disclosure since you told me this you know I have such a different approach to my own you know sex life and my and just what I think about people who have STIs in general so thank you um but there is still a really really big stigma and i notice i think it is a i don't want to say it's better than when i was diagnosed but there seem to be more figures talking about it for example now we have the hands network which is herpes activist networking to dismantle stigma so it's an entire group of people working to we all have our own individual purposes but our overall purpose is to help dismantle the stigma Um, so I think that's a really big accomplishment. Um and my own presence, I guess it's just something, it's what I would want to what I would want to find when I was searching online back when I was diagnosed. It's like these are the messages that I never had that I want to hear. And so that's the audience, that's my idea and going public and just trying to help others or disseminate the knowledge that I never really had until I was diagnosed.
1: Thanks for listening to My First Time, a mostly sexy sex podcast from Broadly. And thank you very much to our guest Emily DePass. You can follow her on emilydepass.com. My name is Zing Sing and I'm the UK editor at Broadly here in London. This episode was produced by Sam Bonham. This is the last episode of season four. Thank you to those of you who've joined us recently. We'll be back soon.
0: Hold up.